Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Week in Markets. I'm Richard Tang, the China strategist and head of research in Hong Kong for Bank Julius Baer. Now, the past week was one which is full of market headlines. In this podcast, we'll first summarize the recent developments in the U.S. race market. Then we will talk about the ongoing challenges in China. And finally, a few key points on India. Let's start. For global investors, the obvious question is what drove U.S. long rates higher in recent weeks? And obviously, what's the outlook for the market? In a nutshell, I think it was first triggered by the spike in the Japanese government bond yields, causing a sell-off in global bond markets that was led by the U.S. Treasury. And then market was concerned by the large amount of supply of U.S. Treasury. On 31st of July, the Treasury guided an issuance amount of $1 trillion in third quarter and $850 billion in the fourth quarter. Also, the fish downgrade of U.S. rating and that market was assigning a lower probability of a U.S. recession also caused the rates to go up in particularly the long end. Now, that said, I think we have to be mindful that a lot of these that we just discussed are technical factors. The big picture remains the same, that core inflation is coming down slowly but steadily, and this is confirmed by the CPI print last week. The other important point regarding the big picture is that Fed rates have very likely peaked, so that may anchor the long end of the Treasury curve as well. From a trading perspective, we've seen a lot of speculative investors having put on the so-called disinversion trade to bet on the yield curve getting less inverted. Now, I'm not going through the details and the rationale of this because it's a little bit too complicated. But one observation I do want to highlight in this podcast is that the move at the yield curve in recent weeks has been intense. So even though the treasury supply and the other factors uh, may keep long rates high in the near term, I think one may start to question how much more can long rates go up further. In any case, we are keeping our quality tilt within the fixed income universe. The default rates in speculative rates in the U.S. bonds have been coming up, so that warrants some caution as we allocate our asset along the credit curve. Now, the spike in long-end rates have also caused some sell-off in the U.S. equity market, particularly with the growth stocks, i.e. those great seven U.S. tech stocks and also the AI supply chain. Now, as a bank, Julius Bear has been expecting some consolidation in the U.S. equity market for a while because we've seen that the market sentiment has become so much more optimistic now compared to April and May, and that speculative length and also investment positioning are becoming more heavy. So this pullback does not shock us. But we do believe that the equity market will be back on its bull run again after the current consolidation, hopefully in Q4, because it's clear to us that the U.S. corporates have now survived through the worst of the earnings down cycle, and the latest reporting season also confirms to us that we may be seeing recovery in the corporate profits in the coming quarters. For investors who were cautious in the first half and missed out the rally, we do think that the current pullback in the quarter may be an opportunity to buy on dips. All right, that much about the U.S. Now we're moving on to talk about China. In the second last week of July, the market was possibly surprised by a change in narrative on the housing market at the Polybro meeting. In particular, the Chinese government acknowledges for the first time that the demand-supply dynamics in the Chinese housing market has materially changed and there is a need for nimble policies to be put in place. Four days later, the Ministry of Housing and the local governments of the first-tier cities have all announced directional guidance to relax 
home purchase restrictions, as well as to lower mortgage rates. However, to our disappointment and also to the market disappointment, there have been no more follow-through with concrete policy details. And to be frank, even if the local government does come up with something, we are not that optimistic the new home sales will improve a lot because a lot of those home buyers have already changed their expectation on future home prices. So even though a lot of the supply-side bottlenecks are now resolved by the Chinese policymakers, the purchase intention from the Chinese people is still fairly weak. Now, the continuously weak home sales has added on more pressure on two areas. First, because cash collection is so poor, more developers have got into financing troubles, and the latest one is Country Garden, who's looking to restructure its debt. And second, the challenges in the developers and also the property market overall now in turn causes financing challenges in some of the investment trust products in China. Over last week, one of the largest asset management firm, which is called Zhongzhi Enterprise Group and its related Zhongrong Trust, were known to be delayed the payment. In China, we estimate that one-fourth or even one-third of the trust AUMs are property trust, and if developers have been running into defaults and some of the projects fail to complete, the investments of these trusts in the property sector will suffer from huge losses. Now, let's put things into context. Zhongrong Trust is worth more than 600 billion RMB, and the entire trust sector has over 20 trillion RMB of AUM. And given the significant size, the market would just naturally worry about its secondary ripple effect onto the economy or any other hidden linkages. We believe we need to see a step up in policy help from the Chinese government before the market can stabilize. We're still calling for a trading range in the Chinese market, but obviously the chance is clearly going towards the lower end of the range rather than the high end. Now, investors may ask, given the challenges in China, what are the opportunities in Asia, especially in the long term? Our answer is India. Bullish thesis could take a whole podcast to talk about. So today I will just leave you a few simple points as takeaways. First, to say the obvious, India is a young country and its demographics will support strong growth ahead. But more importantly, which is my second point, we see a very strong liquidity inflow from domestic Indians through the so-called systematic investment program. There is a constant flow of money into the Indian market that supports its valuation. And third, which is my final point, you may actually be surprised, but India is actually the Asian market that has produced the most multi-bagger stocks. Anyway, this seems to be another busy week navigating the markets. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for our next podcast. Goodbye for now. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you've heard, please tell us by leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe to Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player to stay up to date with our latest episodes. To learn more about Julius Bayer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbayer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbayer.com slash legal slash podcast for further important legal information.